What is going on, Substackers? It's a Saturday park rant. I don't know if I have done one of these in a while. Frankly, I gotta tell you, and I know this is different for all y'all who work for a living, actual jobs like nine to fives. My ass has not known what day it was since July 4th. I'm not kidding. It being on, July 4th being on a Tuesday or something made almost <laughs> every day since then feel like a Saturday or Sunday. Like, I, it's just been crazy. That's just how my brain works. But I got a lot on my mind today. Um, I'll preface everything I'm about to say by saying um, that we, the comedy community, lost a great one, um, Cousin Ricky Pearden. I know that a lot of y'all don't know who he is. And I will certainly talk about him later. This is not for that. Um, I need to process it. He just passed away. He's uh, the first dude that ever took me on the road. Funniest dude I ever met. Um, wonderful friend. So like I said, I am going to talk about that later, but I'm not ready to talk about it right now. But, th but when he passed and all the comedians were, you know, we found out about it and I broke the news to some of the guys and yada yada. It just got us talking about the old times. And that's really what I want to talk to y'all about today. Something a, a little less sad than a human being dying, although pretty sad in some other regards, is <laughs> the culture of comedy back in the aughts, whenever I started. I may be repeating myself on some things that I've said in other podcasts that's going to happen, and I'll definitely retread some of this ground in future projects that I'm working on. And um, also, when on Monday... DJ Lewis will come on the Well Read Podcast and we will memorialize Cousin Ricky properly with some Cousin Ricky stories, so certainly stay tuned for that. But me and DJ were just talking about, you know, back when we first started and, you know, for me it was 20 years ago and then DJ jumped in just a couple years after me, so I mean we've really been through thick and thin together and we were just talking about those old days when... And this is one of the reasons why when someone asks me now, like, advice for getting into comedy, I don't even really know what to tell them because the landscape is just, I mean, so insanely different. And I do think that there's a, there's a certain group of people. I don't have a, a group of people in mind. I'm just saying, like, there are people who, if it was the same now as it was back then they would not get into stand-up comedy. And I don't mean that to say that we were tougher or anything like that. <laughs> we were crazier, I guess, like you had to be. And, and frankly, a lot of people back then who were super funny didn't ultimately stick it out with comedy because the culture was so insane. I'm not one of those people that pines for those days though. You know what I mean? Like some people be like, oh, back in my day, we did it right. I do not think we did it right. Now, do I regret anything? No, I'm glad I have the stories. It 100% made me a tougher person. But dude, like I said, me and DJ were just talking about those days and like the camaraderie that you're able to build with people when you're unknowingly going through the shit, I guess. Like I've heard servers talk about it. Like they really bond with other servers when they're having a bad night more than they would a good night, you know? Similar struggle <laughs> and whatnot. And these were also the days when, and I don't think it's really like this anymore. And this is an unfortunate part of it. Is like back then the pipeline to doing stand up was 
number one, and this will always be the same no matter what, no matter how much hard work you put in, you still do have to be lucky, but you do have to put hard work in. None of that's ever changed. It has changed a little bit with, you know, and, and hey, I'm speaking as someone who has gotten popular on the internet, but I had put in my comedy dues long before that. A lot of people don't know that. It really irritates me when I'll see people be like, oh yeah, this guy made a video and now he does stand up. I'm like, Bubba, I wish that I had thought to do a video 20 years ago. I didn't. It wasn't the thing at the time. Um, but So it, maybe it is a little bit easier now. The pipeline to doing stand up could be just like you literally go viral and now you get to be a comedian. Now I will say this though. And there's been countless examples of this. That'll only get you so far. If you blow up on the internet and all of a sudden you're selling tickets, but they get to that show and you suck because you haven't put the time in or developed the skills, you're not going to last that long. Like, like comedy has has a way to ride, ride the ship, you know. And also, I'm not blaming those people for thinking, hey, this is one way to monetize my success. Do your thing, man. I mean, yeah, does it suck when... I see someone who's done stand-up two months uh, take someone's spot from a club who's been doing it 20 years. Yeah, that fucking sucks. But, I mean, it's never not going to be supply and demand, so you just got to kind of learn to live with that shit. Like, whenever, like, when I see non-comedians working stand-up clubs, it really gets to me. When I see them working like a theater, I'm like, well, that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, anyone can go book a theater. I just, I would have liked to believe that comedy clubs are sacred and the bookers were like, no, we only have comedians. That, none of that is beside the point. My point is, back in my day, <laughs> God damn it, I can't believe I'm saying that phrase. Back in my day, the pipeline was you start out as an open micer, you go from open micer to hopefully you get to host in the main room, right? It, now, you know, I don't know how it was. I'm only speaking from a doing comedy in Tennessee I don't exactly know how it was in New York you know because a host in New York is actually way way bigger deal like you want to be the host whereas where we're from it's like yeah you want to be the host until you can be the feature like the only reason that you want to be a host is so that you can you know build your set and prove to the owner that you're funny and that you could middle for somebody right and middling means feature which means the person that goes up before the headliner so you know the, the headlining show D.L. Hughley featuring Corey Ryan Forster I did get to do that a couple times and I gotta tell you D.L. was one of the sweetest men in the world speaking of the old days D.L. was actually the first person I I'd never got to go in a green room which uh we didn't even have our rinky dink club which I, I love that club it's different now and it's really nice it's at the Chattanooga Choo Choo but back when it was just a box on Brainerd Road there was no such thing as a green room it was just the manager's office but if you were a big enough name he would clear out his office or the owner's office and he'd let the talent stay in there and smoke cigars or whatever the fuck and uh, Dio Hugh was the first person that ever invited me into a green room I got to hang out with him and his posse and it was fun as shit uh, we ate chicken wings and smoked cigars, and every single time that the waitress would come back there to pick up plates, every single one of the guys would hand her $100, even if she'd just been in there before and they handed her $100. It was fucking cool as shit. Um, but anyways, that was the pipeline, was you host, hopefully you get to feature, and then when you're featuring, it's like you can be good, but the only way to headline is to be able to sell tickets, because good don't really matter. I mean, good does matter. Like you kind of have to be good in order for people to want to buy tickets to see your show but if you're technically proficient at the craft but you haven't made a real name for yourself and can't sell tickets well the booker's not going to book you as the headliner you're going to be a feature 
the only way that you could work your way up in that situation was usually like you're featuring you're featuring the club owner knows you got an hour and then there's a cancellation or like a dead tuesday night that they're like okay we'll let you go up and then you would start getting the all right whenever somebody cancels this person can headline and then enough people see you and all of a sudden you might could sell tickets right that was like the pipeline and so all of us youngsters starting out in comedy we're just clawing at the door to get in the open mic and you do the open mics and you're just praying to god that the owner his wife who was also a co-owner can't remember what the split was they ended up getting divorced and it's a sad thing it felt like we were all felt like we were all children of divorce i ain't gonna lie to you you would hope that they would come and peek their heads in there and sometimes that would happen and that's how you got to host or do a guest set is they would come in there and go who's the best open micer okay we're gonna put you on the main stage see how you do um a lot of times you would fuck up completely when you got on the main stage and it's so funny because like it's still just a room with people but for some reason i mean it's just the pressure of like holy shit you're on the main stage people paid to see this show they didn't pay to see the fucking open mic or maybe they did it was like five dollars but we had to do a lot of bringer shows and shit so you don't know what a bringer show is I don't, i'm sure they still do those bringer shows um and, and no offense, by the way, if you're someone out there and, like, you run bringer shows, like you're a person who has bringer shows and makes people do them, you're probably the devil. Because what it is is that it's an open mic. However, the only way you get stage time is if you bring the audience, right? So you have to bring seven people with you and have them pay to get in before they'll let you go on stage. Which, like, you can think about it one way. It's like, well, why wouldn't people want their friends to come and support? True. But this is completely alienating people that don't have a lot of friends. Which, by the way, that's a lot of people who get into fucking comedy. Or someone who just moved into town from another town and wants to try this scene. They're not going to have fucking seven people, so they're screwed. What are they going to do, buy seven tickets themselves? Uh, did I mention they're a comic? They're broke as fuck. <laughs> right? So that was our pipeline, and, and, but none of us, it's so funny to think back, like now, I in no, and I think all of y'all know me well enough to know that I am in no way in this for strictly the money. If I was, I would charge more for this Substack, and I would make everybody pay for it, right? If There's a ton of stuff I still do for free, because I love the game, right? But I am a grown man, this is my career, and I do have to think about the money from time to time. And comedy is one of those professions, which, I mean, you know, it's only a profession if you get paid to do it. Other than that, it's just a hobby. So I was a hobbyist for a while. But it's one of the only professions that one seeks to get into where you have zero guarantee of payment ever. Listen to me. Ever. It's not like one career where it's like, yeah, you'll have to do, you do an unpaid intern for, you know, two years and then, but no, no, no. Comedy for some people has been an unpaid internship for 20 years. I know dudes who are still... Now, granted, they're hobbyists. They had to get another job because comedy's not paying the bills, but they're still doing it because they love it, right? Or it's just something they do on the weekends, which is totally fine. I used to think that was bananas. I used to fully believe, like, unless you're in this for the long run, what the fuck are you even doing here? Get out of my way. You're in my spot. And, um, you know, I guess part of me could still feel that way a little bit. But, like, there's nothing wrong with just being, like, every couple months, 
I go do an open mic and I bring my friends and we have a good time. That's awesome. Honestly, if you're fucking so put together in the head that you can do that without needing it to become your entire life, I applaud you. That is fucking amazing to me, right? But we would all sit there, all these open micers who were like, you know, oh, I hope we can host. We're getting no money. Matter of fact, it's costing us money to get there. And we could not have been happier. Now, I say that because in hindsight, it's like you only think about the good thing. There was also a lot of us going through a lot of demons because while we're there, sometimes, let's say you were supposed to get paid for a slot in the... Now, I'm not saying this about the main room because the main room was very professional. The owner had, you know... He wouldn't do any of this. But if you're running these side rooms and shit, sometimes it's like, hey, sorry, we know he's going to give you 10 bucks, uh, but here's a hydro instead. And we'd be like, cool, pills, hell yeah. <laughs> and then it just became a thing that every time you're doing comedy, you get fucking peeled up, drink your balls off. Luckily for me, I was the youngin, and that shit wasn't doing as worse things to my body as it was the older people. I mean, I know it still hurts your body, but at... You know, when I started at 16 and all through those early years, like my body could regenerate and it'd be fine. And luckily now I do not drink to excess and I haven't touched actual drugs uh, in a very long time. Thank God, dude. It's a wonder, dude. Thinking about all the shit that we used to do back then that I didn't get hooked. Like it's cra- like I, I clearly do not have the addictive personality and that's such a real thing because like i know people who did way less than me who got a crippling addiction and i'm fine like let me let me let y'all in on something we used to do before we were going on stage this sounds so fucking insane to say right now and i would never in a million years do it again but we used to do it every four nights a fucking week doing shows at the comedy catch what we would do and i'm not going to name any names here although some of them wouldn't give a shit we would, we had this dude who would supply us all the pills in lieu of payment, and we would take hydrocodone, or hydrocodone, whatever, sometimes Oxycontin, most of the time hydrocodone, because even then, Oxy was like, well, you don't mix it with nothing, because that shit's high test. You'd take hydrocodone or Percocets, right? You'd crush them using the end of a coffee mug, right? you roll it over like a rolling pin. Then you would throw a Xanax in there, crush that up, and mix the powder together. Now, the thinking here is Xanax calms your nerves, right? But then you mix it with the Percocet, which actually numbs your body. And so you've got a double dose of I don't give a fuck. But then, hey, here's the kicker. You had to make sure that you didn't fall asleep because Xanax and Percocets could make you fall asleep. So we crushed up an Adderall and put it in that shit and would snort that cocktail four nights a week and go up. And yeah, dude, let me tell you something. You can blaze through a set. <laughs> you are feeling no pain. Um, and the, the fucking crazy thing about Adderall, aside from a lot of other drugs, is now if you take it too far and you're doing it all the time, this is different. But like Adderall actually do be making, it's a really good drug for comedy because you have a singular focus. When you're on Adderall, you have a singular focus. When you're on stage, you're not gonna lose your place. You, your brain's working 100 miles an hour. So if something's not working, you see it before anybody else does. You shift, you live at it. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it really is. But just think about the heart stopping combination that I just described to you that we were doing on the reg. 
didn't think anything wrong with it. Matter of fact, romanticized the whole goddamn thing because all we knew about comedy was that it was supposed to be this depressing, desolate, fucking harbinger of, of pain. <laughs> and it made us happy, ironically. We're like, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're fucking, you know, watching Sam Kennison going, that's how you're supposed to do it. Not thinking about the fact that he died. Belushi, Farley, all these fucking dudes. Now, you know, to give Sam Kennison some credit, he alcohol and drugs had nothing to do with his death on his part at least uh but dude it fucking would have eventually we all know that but the camaraderie that you feel with those comedians when you're in that type of shit together is just unmatched i mean some of the hardest i've ever laughed was during that period some of the best friendships i've made that still last to this day were during those periods when we were just destroying our body and our mind for what we thought was the greater good of this art form that we were all in love with and we were doing it purely for the art form did we all want money absolutely but dude back then you would get fucked over by a booker cuss him like a dog to all your friends on the way back and then you couldn't wait to go do his fucking show two days later knowing you ain't getting paid Knowing there's no booker from NBC in the audience that's going to help your career. Knowing that all you're doing is entertaining 18 to 20 drunks who don't really give a fuck if you're there or not. That w We loved it, dude. We loved it. And that's not the culture anymore. And that's a good thing. You know? Because, dude, back then, like, back then it was rough. Like, you know, bookers would just straight up say shit. And what's fucked up is, like, I believed some of this shit for a while. Like... What I mean, I don't, I never believed it was right, but what I believed was I like, well, I guess that's how it works. I don't know. I'm young and stupid. They would look at you in the face and be like, okay, well, you can't have two women on the same show. Like, we all know that. And I would just be like, oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's interesting. I guess that's how it works. And then, like, I remember one time I, they let me run a show when one of the dudes out of town, like, all the comics were and they're like, hey, you're in charge of the order of the open mic. So I was like, okay, cool. So I just did it based on, like, who showed up at what time. And, you know, and, and, yeah, of course, it was like if one of them was my best buddies, I'd be like, yo, you're headlining tonight, even though that just means going last on open mic. And I remember I got in trouble one time because the main booker came back after I'd done this show and was like, what the fuck were you thinking? I was like, wait, what? And they're like, dude, you can't have two black people go back to back. Not, by the way, you can't have two black people on the show. It wasn't that. They would have loved it if there was 20. But you can't let them go back to back. And I was like, wait, why? And they were like, because you need to break up the styles. As if every black comedian is the same comedian. You know what I mean? They would have never said that about, hey, you can't let two white guys go back and forth. Now, granted, I will think, I do think that we've kind of overcorrected it a bit. And like, that kind of seems like the case when you go to a Hollywood showcase now. It's like, hey, you can't have two white guys with a beard on the same show. <laughs> but whatever, we'll do that. We've had that a long time coming. You know what I mean? But it was, and, and how many times I heard people like bookers and stuff just flat out say women aren't funny in front of women who were trying to do stand-up. And they got run off, you know? And I was either too young or just didn't give a fuck that like, I mean, I know that I made comments, but never to their, you know, maybe never to their face. And I didn't stand up for people like I should have, but like, you know, and I can't really defend myself any other way but saying I was a young teenager and I did not know what the fuck was going on and like everything I was hearing I took as gospel like, well, goddamn, man, I guess this is just how the business is, you know, fucking tough break, you know, whatever. 
like it was like and the worst the worst i ever got as a white man was that they they <laughs> they were like they told me this is so goddamn funny everybody that i ever worked for booker wise always told me you're never gonna make it if you wear a hat <laughs> and now wearing a hat's like half my fucking thing but that's as bad as i ever got it as a white man but like man people were getting treated like shit and I mean, dude, it, sometimes it didn't have nothing to do with gender or race. Like you would like, you know, sometimes just a young, you know, a young white male comedian comes in and immediately they're made to feel like you don't belong here because you just started. And it's like, but they have to just start sometime. We all just started at one time. It was a bully fucking culture. It was, dude, roasts were like really, really popular at the time on Comedy Central. And uh, what all of us failed to realize is, is that those insanely offensive horrible jokes that were told on the roast were told by professionals who know how to make them good when i say insanely offensive and horrible i just meant like you know greg giraldo could go there and make it work because he was so fucking talented i mean i know that there's still some things that you go i don't know if they should have said that but dude these were pros that like they knew the risk reward of what they were saying and sometimes and you just have to look at something and go and this was always the rule for us was like hey is this joke offensive and people would be like is it funny I'd be like well yeah and they're like is it more funny than it is offensive and if you answered yes it's like we'll do that shit as long as it's more funny than it is offensive if it's more offensive than it is funny why the fuck would you ever say it so funny needs to be the first thing you know but we would be saying the worst fucking shit treating people like shit just garbage drunk out of our fucking minds yacked up peeled up fucking just and that's what we thought it was all about dude we wouldn't have it any other goddamn way and there's probably part of me that like when that era came and gone and now it's more like the hey we're treating everybody great you know and uh the pathway to comedy is to make good character videos i might have been like god damn it i had to do all this fucking shit but frankly i'm here to tell you that i'm glad that it's not and it's still toxic as fuck dude it's still toxic as fuck but it's not like it used to be but my point is i'm describing all this to y'all and it sounds fucking horrible and like realistically it is we fucking <laughs> loved it we didn't give a fuck that people were treating us like shit. We didn't give a fuck that we weren't getting paid. And you know why? Because we got into it because we wanted to do comedy. And we were doing comedy. It's the only thing that fucking mattered. And we were young. Some of us were young as shit. It didn't matter that we weren't getting paid that much. We were all fucking working our part-time jobs anyways. <laughs> we were... It's just so bizarre, man. But some of the... I, we, I, we think back on those times... We laugh about the funny moments and then we peel back the curtain and go, oh shit, remember that happened too? Man, that was fucked up. But it's just wild that you really do make bonds in those situations with people more than when everything's going great. And I look back on that and I'm, and I wish, I, sometimes I wish I could go back there for just one moment and, and feel what that felt like again, to have nothing but pure hunger for the game. Granted, I'd have to do it with my 20-something body. If I went back as is right now i'd die in two fucking seconds dude i wouldn't be able to handle it i would not be able to i wouldn't even be able to handle the whole riding five to a car thing without my bone shattering it's better now i love my life now i love having a family not having any problems with drugs or alcohol having you know an income and being happy i really do but then sometimes you get fantasizing and romanticizing the past and you go, man, 
it fucking sucked, but wasn't it fun? And maybe you only think about that on days when someone from that era passes away, like Cousin Ricky, truly an end of an era. And uh, that's all I want to rant about today. I'm sorry. I don't even know what I meant by all that. I don't know if there's a moral. I was just feeling um, sort of grossly nostalgic because of Ricky's passing. And like I said, I want you all to know more about Ricky. Um, There's not a lot of people know about Ricky. And by the way, that was not because (laughs) that was not for any other reason than Ricky didn't care if you knew about him. Ricky was the funniest man that ever lived. Every single comedian that knew him will tell you that. And the only reason he's not a household name is because Ricky didn't give a fuck. Ricky's one of the rare people, and I will write about this in the eulogy and talk about it on Well Read. He was one of those people that comedy needed him more than he needed comedy. He didn't give a shit. He did it for the love of the game. And boy, (laughs) was it a good game when Ricky did it. I tell you what. All right, I'll definitely share more old war stories, but I just had to blabber away. I love y'all so much. I'll talk to you later. Have a wonderful Saturday night. Enjoy your Sunday. If you're like me tonight, and this is not a plug, I'm not paid by them, but by God, I'm going to watch AEW Collision. I'm going to watch some wrestling tonight on Saturday night. I love it. A lot of people say it's insane to have wrestling on a Saturday night, and maybe from a metrics and rating standpoint, I agree, but by God, as a 36-year-old man who wants to stay at home with his boy, I love it. I love it. I ain't going out to the bar, baby. I'm going to watch freaking, you know, FTR whip some ass. I think tonight it's Samoa Joe. Is it Samoa Joe and Punk tonight? Shoo-wee. Lord, that's going to be good. Y'all have fun. And if you're a member of Ad Free Show's uh, Top Guys, I'll see you tomorrow on Rebels Happy Hour, my wrestling podcast. Love y'all. Remember to listen to Putting On Airs. Remember to pre-order the book and everything else. I'll talk to you later. Love you. See you. Bye.